Good morning. It's Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 207. And do you hear it? It's eerily quiet. That's because I snuck into the studio early this morning to record a early edition of Tech Talk for you guys because I got something really big going on today that I'll tell you about at the end of the show if I don't forget. Here, you know what? I'll write myself a note right now. Tell them about the really big news, the entire reason you got your ass up super early to record this show and nobody's here. Uh-huh. Okay. Going to make a note to that. It seems like the number one reason I'm here, so I wouldn't forget it, but uh, you never know. All right. So uh, with that said, let's bring in our mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. <laughs> Good morning, Chris. <laughs> Sean. Hey, man, I'm glad you could make it in here this morning. So, guess what? It's a big day. I'm glad we're doing a show today because it's Linux's birthday. Happy birthday, Linux. It's turning 24. It's been 24 long years since the first ever release of Linux on August 25th, 1991. Wow, how about that? And now, just a mere 24 years later, Linux has completely taken over the entire world. It's pretty awesome. Um, I guess... Uh, I guess every year it just becomes more and more remarkable at the progress because in the one year since it was 23 years old, Android has exploded even more. The Internet of Things ha- devices is blowing up. And just about every TV now is shipping with some sort of embedded system, and most of them are Linux. In one year since its last birthday, it has seen yet another explosion of new categories. And I wouldn't be surprised that when we're sitting here and talking about year 25, if we're not really talking about Linux on networking equipment and switches and routers a lot more. I, uh, that's a big area they're pushing right now, and there's a lot of really interesting work in the kernel to make the Linux kernel talk hyper, hyper fast to uh, switch fabric. So I bet at uh, age 25, we might just be talking a little bit about that. So something else that had a birthday today, KDE version 5.4.0 of the Plasma desktop is now out, the August release. And some of you may appreciate the new audio volume applet. Now, why is Chris talking about this? Because, oh, my God, do they need this. This new volume audio applet works directly with Pulse Audio. The popular sound server for Linux gives you full control over volume and output settings in a beautifully designed, simple interface, they say. And um, it does look much, much improved. You have different playback devices broken out in the menu and then your general audio. Uh, It's still a lot of options going on here, but... um, Boy, it looks a lot better than I was just. I was just reminiscing about how I was fighting with KD Audio last night for a review, and uh, that looks like a huge improvement. And one thing that I'm really happy to see, and I assume, although they're looking, they're showing us on the ap- application-based uh, level here in the screenshot. But one thing I would love to see, and this would be just such a novel idea, is a volume slider. Look at that, guys! A volume slider in the volume settings. What a great idea! See, that's the kind of design and leading edge I like to see from Plasma 5. Uh, and then we have the new application uh, dashboard launcher, which looks like a modern version of uh, GNOME's launcher. You see we have it, uh, we have it right there, maybe, or, or uh, maybe even another step up from that is uh, you know, Unity. It looks like a little nice any of those because you've got your favorites pinned to the left. You've got your applications here on the right and your categories over here. Oh, I'm sorry, on the left is favorites and on the right is categories. And see, when I launched the uh, GNOME overview, it's, uh, it's fairly similar to uh, that UI, but uh, a little simpler. So it's, uh, it's uh, one step above what, uh, what GNOME Activities offers. And then uh, one of the things that has uh, always been one of my favorite elements of the KDE desktop and uh, now the Plasma desktop, and if you haven't tried this, if, you're not a, if you've never played around with the Plasma desktop, you should play around with KRunner. It is such a cool launcher. All those other desktops out there on the Mac, like, they have like, all these different launchers they try to do. And uh, nothing, nothing holds a candle to KRunner. And now KRunner remembers your previous searches and automatically completes them as you type. And then last but not least for us geeks... 
Well, isn't that all of us? <laughs> Useful network graphs in the network app. This is actually really nice, especially if you're like on a VPN or an SSH connection doing a file transfer over Wi-Fi, and you want to watch your transfer rates and things like that. Now in the applet, they've improved that uh, output of information it gives you. So right there down in the tray, you click that up for your uh, network connection, and then after you've clicked the uh, interface, it'll start charting uh, that, that data for you. And you can pull it out at any time and just see how your overall interface is doing. That kind of details I love to have. It makes my desktop feel like a heads-up interface. Giving me all kinds of data. Sean, are you willing to give uh, Plasma 5.4 a try? Oh, I might give it a look. Plasma 5.4.0. Yeah. Yeah, it might be worth taking a... You know what? I, I always like to do... I always do like taking a look at it. Also, this is something I want to try on my XPS. Is uh, 5.4.0 is supposed to have a huge uh, uh, work done on HDPI, high DPI support. So um, I haven't seen that myself yet. But uh, I would really like to see that. Because before, essentially, in uh, Plasma, you just kind of are turning the scaling way up. And that's kind of how you get it. Not ideal. Now, this one's really kind of interesting because I didn't even know people cared until I spent a week with Noah. And apparently, he just draws them out of the woodwork. Who? I'm, who? No, no. I'm, t- I'm talking. No, not them. No, I'm talking about BlackBerry owners. Yeah, apparently, Blackberries uh, still have a following. And uh, Noah says he'd love to have a BlackBerry. And when he opened up his mouth at our meetup, a bunch of other people chimed up and said, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, I, get, I, love, I love my BlackBerry. And then I thought to myself, oh, you, you, you fools. If you only – if you, you say that. But then if you actually went back to it, it's not that great. Uh, but anyways, uh, it, it, it nevertheless did cause a couple of people at the table, and I'm not joking, to bust out their BlackBerries. So there were a couple of BlackBerry owners at our meetup in Seattle, Washington at LinuxCon last week. And one of them even has a mouse. It has like a, like a little mouse nubbin. So you have a cursor on the screen. I, it, it, it was really a treat. Anyways, uh, so apparently there is now a, uh, a, 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 a hack going around online to get Android running on the uh, BlackBerry hardware. Now, I'm going to just uh, jump into this YouTube video that this guy posted here. We'll see how much of this is actually legit or not. But this guy claims to be able to get Android running on uh, these devices. And w- it's funny because that came up at the uh, meetup as like, oh, that'd be a big deal. Mas o tempo que eu fiquei com ele, galera, aonde eu ia, shopping, em qualquer lugar que eu ia, eu tirava ele para mexer, para falar. Você pode translar, Sean? Ele está dizendo que ele quer colocar no telefone. Sim, é por isso que nós temos o Sean no Mumbo, ele é nosso translator. Nice work, Sean. <laughs> Pro level there, buddy. Pro level. Working on your feet. Uh, I don't know about this, to tell you the truth, but uh, now there's other screenshots of it showing up on Twitter. Um, the device appears to be the BlackBerry also, when you, which a code name which you should be familiar with if you've looked at other leaks for the silver edition of the BlackBerry Passport. So, uh, BlackBerries. BlackBerries. Sean, are you a phone guy? Do you have a particular kind of phone? Is it, are you a BlackBerry guy, perchance? Oh, no. I did away with the BlackBerry a long time ago. Went Android and never went back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I basically stopped around then, too. I, yeah, that's essentially it. Uh, you know, I, I do appreciate some aspects of them. I really do. Getting to play with them at the uh, at the meetup, uh, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I do remember some of this being kind of nice, but it didn't. I didn't get that. Uh, I did not get that. Oh, this is home feeling that I think some people are looking for. Hey, speaking of Android and Google, so uh, recently we talked about Alphabet, the new holding company for Google, and that, that Sundar Pichai uh, um, is going to be, Sundar Pichai will be running Google, the company, the uh, subsidiary. And in this shakeup, it's coming out that Google now may have seen an exodus of staff. Now, these kinds of things happen all the time, but I wanted to kind of zoom out and have a meta discussion here because apparently they're now internally deprioritizing the development of Google Now, the predictable 
guess what you want kind of services, which many, many, many people thought was going to be the future, like cog piece of many Google products, Google Wear, Google Glass, uh, obviously the Google Now uh, built-in functionality to the Android launcher. Google Now um, was, is, and is often still considered to be one of the fancier things Google does. So the idea that they would be deprioritizing it is, is shocking. But uh, I wonder if, uh, if maybe this isn't just what happens from time to time with uh, large companies like this that don't have total control over these kinds of things. You have people that have left. And according to this Recode article, this is where they're, uh, they're talking about this, uh, it looks like uh, Microsoft wants to uh, take advantage of this. The two engineers who uh, created Now have left the company in March, and several others left around the same time. Only one, of the founding team, only one in the founding team remains at Google, according to multiple sources. Uh, now, Google has declined to comment on this, but this is uh, Recode has sourced it from multiple sources, they say. For several, uh, for several, the experience of seeing their product steered in unwanted direction was too dispiriting, they said. Google's a big company, said one person who departed. That's how big companies work. Hmm. I don't know what to make of this story. Could Google? I mean, first we see the uh, decline of Google+, and they've broken out the individual services that matter, photos and hangouts and others. Uh, and now we can potentially see the decline of Google Now, which seemed like a pretty key, not not just like a minor piece. It was such a major strategy piece for Google that they realigned all of their privacy policies so that all of their services could share data across all of them. That was a huge internal effort that they went through, a very public one, too, to make Google Now possible. Sean, if you were a betting man, if you're going to put money on the table, would you bet Google Now is a fading product, or do you think uh, they'll double down? Well, to be real honest, when it came to Google Now, every time I've ever taken a look at it, I haven't really seen the relevance. Like on the Android phone, uh, the, the cards that come up, like they come up at the weirdest times. They don't seem to have any rhyme or reason, and I just don't really see any use in it. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two pieces of functionality in Google Now on a routine basis that I found to be semi-useful. Number one. The, hey, I notice you're kind of following this topic online and searching around for it, and I've collected more information on it for you automatically. Would you like to review it? And that's a couple of times been like, oh, cool, check that out. It's creepy. But it's also very cool. Like, oh, so you noticed I was Googling around and searching about that, huh? Okay, well, yeah, sure, I would like more information. So there's that element to it. But then again, it's like relevant information usually. So I'm like, oh, okay. And the other one that I do kind of like is uh, package shipments. You know, tracking my packages, so I just open up the, I just swipe, le- I just swipe left on my phone, and there's my Google Now page, and all my packages are there. Now, <clears throat> that said, like the weather, the estimated time of arrival, and the package shipping, I have individual apps that can do all of those things really well, and they're right on my screen. I can just tap them, and they fire right up. I don't need now. The only thing I really need now for is uh, like that one time it really saved my butt to get down to a concert for my wife's birthday back in November. And we were we were we went somewhere north, and uh, we were at a casino, uh, eating, not playing. And um, I got a push notification saying, "Hey, you better leave right now because traffic is real bad." And it was right. If we hadn't left right when it told us, we would have been. We we actually got there when the concert already started, as it was just started. So um, that sort of saved my bacon. There are other things like Apple's working, I think, in iOS nine to kind of do that locally on the phone by looking at your calendar and looking at the traffic and looking at the address that you're going in the calendar appointment and telling you. So you won't need now for that kind of thing. But <clears throat> that's an interesting observation, Sean. Because I think I think the I think sort of the Silicon Valley 
buzz about now is that it's it's so amazing. It's this revolutionary product, and if you if you read a publication or a podcast that comes out of the California area, they're generally um, you know they, they 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 can't help but fall over themselves with praise for how amazing and innovative Google Now is. And I found it basically to be useful in those two areas, maybe sometimes three, one area once. The third area would be the calendaring thing. So I think that's actually a pretty fair assessment, Sean. So maybe maybe Google does begin to sort of spin it down or tries to refine it a little bit. It seems pretty useful in the wear context because there's not a lot of obvious use cases for your watch when it's just sitting on your wrist not doing anything. If it can also display something besides the time, why not have it automatically generate your next calendar appointment automatically or traffic conditions? Like... Having it automatically populate information on demand, semi-relevant to your current location or calendar event, is useful. I don't know if it needs to have hooks into every aspect of my online Google identity uh, to make that happen. All right, one more Google story, and then we'll stop talking about Google. Because it's just super interesting from a actions versus words. And I don't know how to square this one up. Google has been lobbying against real net neutrality reforms in India just like they did in the States. Uh, now, you might recall back in 2010, this is why this caught my attention, because I'm, I'm trying to put together what this really means. Back in 2010, you might recall that Google helped co-write the FCC's original flimsy net neutrality rules with the help of AT&T and Verizon, ensuring ample loopholes and making sure that the rules didn't cover wireless at all. Do you remember this? It was you could have, uh, you could, uh, you could have, uh, you have any rules you want in wireless, but try to leave wired alone as much as possible. And it essentially was the first it was the first move in what has in when in what eventually led to the Title II decisions in twenty fifteen. Uh, this in two thousand ten, Google got that snowball rolling. It wasn't Netflix and Comcast. It wasn't Comcast trying to buy Time Warner cable. It was this move that got the ball rolling, and then those other big events picked up momentum. When the FCC moved to finally enact a notably tougher net neutrality rules for wired and wireless networks earlier this year, Google was publicly mute but privately active in making sure that the FCC didn't seriously address the problems with usage caps and zero-rated content. That's, you know, like uh, how T-Mobile does uh, t- uh, Spotify streaming for free. It's like reverse net neutrality. I don't now. So that's what Google did in the States. And I, and I was like, why, Google, why? Why would you do that? Uh in India, they've been exploring net neutrality rules, and it's apparent that it's not at least lean, uh, looking into anti-net net neutrality. Uh, Google, uh, Google apparently is not helping at all. Both Google and Facebook have come under fire recently for their zero-rating efforts overseas, which include exempting some select partner content from usage caps, setting up walled garden fiefdoms under the banner of selfless altruism, and critics charge that these plans create vast inequities in connectivity and violate internet openness. So Google wants to, say, work with uh, Indian... Uh, Wireless carriers to say, give it play access. Give, give, give all the users 250 megabytes of play access for free, won't you? Just give them 250 megabytes of play. Don't give them the Amazon App Store, though. So it appears Google joined hands with Facebook to try and prevent the Internet and Mobile Association of India, which represents some of the largest Internet companies in India, in India from taking a stand that counters zero rating. According to emails exchanged between the uh, Government Relations Committee members, uh, and a member of Google's public policy and government relations team, Google strongly pushed for the removal of any mention of zero rating from the submissions as a response to the Department of Telecom's report on net neutrality. Please note that Google hasn't responded to our queries. Yeah, So it's not really quite... This is like... It's hard to really determine what's going on, but basically Google's net neutrality modus operandi now is it publicly says as little as possible. This is TechCrunch, or I'm sorry, TechDirt writing this. 
while privately undermining real net neutrality. As we've discussed with both AT&T's sponsored data and T-Mobile's music freedom, such a model gives preferential treatment to larger companies while making life immediately harder for smaller outfits. For example, AT&T's sponsored data could potentially be paid by Google for YouTube, by uh, uh, maybe uh, Stitcher for Stitcher Radio, but I could never pay that. I could, I could, never, I could never buy your AT&T sponsored data, so that way Jupiter Broadcasting would be free for you. I will never be able to take advantage of that form of reverse net neutrality because it's just not financially capable. I, I could never write a $10,000 check to AT&T every single month or whatever it would be, right? It'd probably be a lot more than that even. So that's, that's why it's disappointing to see Google get involved in things like this. I don't quite know where they're going. Sean, any, any kind of thoughts around this and, and you know, doing one thing behind the scenes or speaking publicly or net neutrality in general? Well, when it comes down to net neutrality, I think anything that hurts net neutrality is a bad thing. In general, I think anything that gives an advantage to large corporations and take away any advantage that small business has is a bad thing in general as well. Usually, usually, yeah. Uh, All right, so here's what's going on this week. Crazy. So today I'm recording really early because after I get off the air, I'm going to go run up and check out an amazing deal on a RV trailer. Something that I've been wanting to do for years, but never really kind of have the balls to pull pull it off because, you know, once you start your own business and you work for yourself, I don't know about if anybody else out there has ever done this, but for me, I became petrified of doing anything that got me a payment, a monthly payment. Like, I didn't want to buy, I haven't bought any vehicles, I haven't bought a house, I haven't bought, I've bought nothing that, nothing that requires a payment other than maybe like, you know, having to put hardware on a credit card. Um. So the idea of going up and getting an RV and financing it is a little scary, but it is such an amazing deal. There's, there's a bit of a, the, the previous owners had a bit of an unfortunate circumstances, but to, it's to my advantage for the deal. And um, I want to go up there. We're going to check it out today. And if, I, if it works out, we're going to convert it on, on, on a budget to a mobile broadcasting studio. And uh, we'll be doing things like Tech Talk Today out of there from the road and stuff. So I'll tell you more about that later. But that's where I'm headed out today. So that's why I'm recording early, because I'm meeting up with the folks at 9 o'clock when I'd normally be doing Tech Talk. Uh, and so check out the calendar, because it's going to be a little nuts this week, because we're doing double tech snaps. We're recording ahead for some other shows on Friday and on Wednesday. So very, very busy week this week, because we're picking up from LinuxCon a little bit, too. So Tech Talk always ends up getting the punishing, because, well, it's in the, it's in the studio space, and I do it every day. And so if we have to record for another show, uh, you know, I, I wonder if we, of course, I suppose the RV would probably be parked somewhere. But if the RV was nearby, I could go broadcast out of that while they broadcast in here. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Uh, anyways, so that's I'm really excited. I, and then because uh, we are we are planning a JB Roadshow uh, very soon, and in about a month, and I'll tell you more about that soon as well. And this is gonna this this could be just perfect timing. This could be absolute perfect timing. So I'm going up there today to check it out, and I'll hopefully have a great story for you. So check out the calendar for the next episode of Tech Talk today. You can go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar, and then. Once we kind of get uh, rebounded from all of this, uh, we'll probably come down to a, like a, a real firm schedule for Tech Talk, so that way it's a little more predictable. Uh, so anyways, that is going to be a lot of fun, and so I wanted to get an episode out for you today to give you all that information. So And join us on Thursday for a double Tech Snap session. Alan's going to be back in town. Friday, the Linux Action Show is back. We're bringing back the news visuals and product stuff that we, d- we took out from this one episode as an experiment from 379. Uh, and 379 was a 
killer episode. It was, man, we, drew, we, we went down to LinuxCon and had a hell of a time and noticed some really interesting stuff and trends. So I invite you to check out Linux Action Show episode 379. And last but not least, we could really use your support over at patreon.com slash today. Uh, the, things that, the things we are working on, we have... <laughs> I, I just got done sending. Oh my gosh, it was so. This is this is an example of like why I am so thankful that uh, I I, uh, I have the the support that we do on the Patreon page. It's declined recently, which is very unfortunate because we are trying to get a new show off the ground, and I am in the process of buying and shipping equipment to somebody who is in the UK. And it has been very expensive. And so it's a little bit of a bummer to see that dropping up because we have a new open source show that we're working on that. I know you guys are going to love, and to, to see support drop down while we're doing that is super hard because it's really tight, especially with just doing LinuxCon and all of that. And then later on down the road, we're going to have a JB Roadshow coming up, so we could definitely use your support as we work on all of these great things and continue to pursue our passions with our shows that we love over at patreon.com slash today. Uh, we're hoping to get that up, and uh, there could be some very neat things coming to our patrons down the road. Get it? Down the road? Oh, it'll all come together very soon. All right, so we are doing end-of-show intros. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing intros at the end of the show because they're awesome. And I think, what is it, TN Tom? I'm not quite sure how he pronounces his name in the uh, Tech Talk Today subreddit. He submitted this one. I've got so many, and I, you can submit a great end. Uh, you can, if you have an intro from, like, your childhood or sometime that's just one of the best intros on TV you think needs more attention, should be heard, heard one more time, submit it to techtalktoday.reddit.com. News stories, topic suggestions also go there, techtalktoday.reddit.com. So we'll end today's episode with an intro. And this one, this one definitely hits me in the soft spot. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. <laughs> 